Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Well, hey there. Hello to you today and welcome back to The Burt Not Ernie Show podcast. I am doing something a little bit different today. Um, As always, I just pray over this podcast and ask the Lord what he would like me to share. And one of the things that I think has been the best blessings, one of the best blessings in my life is that the Lord has just reminded me again and again to just be real, that authenticity matters, that I don't have to pretty things up or, um, you know, put a shine on something that really, it doesn't need it. Sometimes his glory is best reflected in how he shows up and works just in the everyday stuff and in the stuff that is maybe not so pretty. So today I am going to share a story from my childhood and, uh, it's not the, it's not the best reflection on me. My friends, it's definitely not, but I hope that you can maybe laugh a little bit, um, maybe be encouraged that if you were kind of a naughty child, uh, you were not the only one by any stretch of the imagination. And also, just as a way to point to the goodness of God, he's so good. Last week on the show, I talked about the faithfulness of God. Yeah, he is so good. We cannot overstate how good and how faithful our God is. So today, I hope you enjoy this true story from my childhood, and I really do hope that it blesses and encourages you. I'm so thankful that you're here. Hey, what do you say we jump into this crazy true story? You're listening to the Burt Not Ernie Show podcast, part of the Spark Network, now playing in the Edify app. This is episode number 133. All right, so when I was young, I'm going to say that um, like preschooler, just about ready to start kindergarten, I got myself into a bit of a pickle. Now, as I tell the story, um, you know, I think first I probably need to give you a little bit of backstory. The first is going to be to let you know how I know how old I was when this happened. I have a pretty good memory of my childhood, but I just want to back it up with some facts, so to speak. Like, so um, we moved a lot when I was young, and um, a lot is probably putting it mildly. We moved a lot. At this point in time, we lived in Bellevue, Nebraska. Bellevue, Nebraska, okay? So um, we lived in an apartment complex. It was right across the street from the place that my mom was managing, a bakery. And we, uh, you know, we were, mm, we had a babysitter sometimes. Sometimes my older brother was there. Sometimes he was in Denver. Uh, We didn't live there a hugely long time, but I know we were there through that summer and a little bit of the school I went to there, I remember. So, and, and here's just a couple things that are my frame of reference. So I know what time this was in life. In uh, early summer, I think maybe even late spring, like May of that year, my older brother, 
saw Star Wars, the first one, the original one. And I remember that because I think he saw it the night it came out. And the next day, it was his job to keep an eye on my younger brother and myself. So we would have been age four. And I'm thinking age two. He might have been two and a half. Let's say two and a half, but around two at that point, right? So our older brother, who was seven years older than me, so he would have been about, you know, around, I'm going to say around 11 or 12 at that time, um, probably, because he's seven years older than me. So he was charged with watching us, but he was like everybody else his age on that particular weekend in 1977, enamored with this Star Wars movie. And so he took us to see the movie, but then he decided he wanted to see it again. And I know that we got to three times with of seeing that movie before um, our mom came and picked my little brother and I up and he went back to the theater to watch it again. So, but like a couple of those times in between the movies, um, I, he probably just frankly did not have the cash on hand to pay for three tickets, three tickets, three tickets. And so my little brother and I, we hid under the seats while he went and bought his ticket uh, to come back in and watch the movie. So yeah, I mean, sometimes I kind of roll my eyes at the whole Star Wars thing because I feel like, oh my goodness, I went through really early preschool Jedi training ugh, by watching that so many times on like opening opening weekend. So that was 1977. And that would have been before my birthday in the late summer. So I know that I was four. And the other frame of references, I know that that apartment complex we lived in, I remember being um, on the couch with my brother while the radio was on and mom was home and she was in the kitchen doing something. And I remember hearing uh, the radio a broadcaster cut in and interrupt the music that my mom had been listening to, probably country. She listened to country music most days. And my mom came rushing into the living room and was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. And so that like cued me into like, ooh, this is serious. I should pay attention and listen. And I really honestly had zero idea who they were talking about, but they they said Elvis Presley has died. And so that was, of course, August 16th of 1977. So there is my proof of how I know what my age was when I tell this story. Because I know sometimes people can be like, are you sure you did that when you were four? Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure I did this when I was four. So my mom had an employee who was a teenager who worked for her at the bakery um, a little bit here and there after school hours, much more in the summer, of course. And occasionally she babysat my brother and I, my little brother, not my older brother. Um, And so she was our our babysitter. And sometimes she would watch us at her house, her mom's house, right, where she, she was still a teenager, right? So her home was with her with her mom sometimes at our apartment. And sometimes we would hang out in the back room of the bakery while she finished up her shift. And then she would walk us across the street, which was a four lane highway in Bellevue. So it wasn't just like a not busy street. It was a very busy street. So when we spent time at her house, um, you know, it was kind of, it was fun. It's pretty cool. I liked it because during one of these little seasons, their family cat had had kittens. And I was loving these little kittens. I mean, they're fun, right? If you're a little kid, and so long as you're not allergic to cats, like one of my daughters is very, very allergic to cats. So is my husband. Like cat kittens are fun. They're cute. They have super, super razor sharp claws. That part of playing with kittens is not fun, but they were, and they were pretty little. During the day when my friend was, um, not my friend, I'm sorry, my babysitter was not home. And I think her sister lived there too. She was not home and her mom was at work. 
and we were at home. I, you know, honestly, now this part of it, I don't remember. I don't know where my older brother or my little brother were. I have no clue. They could have been at the apartment. I don't know. But I was either four or had just turned five, but I really think I was four. And I wanted to go see these kittens. Okay. So she lived, as I said, down that busy highway and then kind of back in a little bit off of a neighborhood. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Nobody was home and I knew that. So I planned this out. You know, when the Bible talks about David saying I was born into sin, I get that. I mean, I did not need any help at all. I did not need somebody older and more wizened to the ways of the world. I didn't need the devil to come whisper this idea in my ear. I mean, I'm telling you what, I wanted to do this and I figured out a way to go see those kittens, but I only wanted to be in that house if the mom was home when my babysitter was home. And here's why. Inadvertently, as a little kid, you overhear conversations. And as I shared about the story of my mom being running into the living room upset, and I thought, ooh, I need to pay attention. What's going on here? And that's how I realized Elvis had died, even though it had just turned five. I didn't really know who in the world Elvis was, right? So I I was kind of a, I listened. I was a listener. Again, not always a really good thing. It could be like snooping or being nosy or whatever. So I had listened to conversations that my mom had had with our babysitter and with our babysitter's mom at different times. Sometimes you're waiting to go. You're just playing a little bit and, you know, um, I don't know, whatever, and, and hanging out while they talk. And you know how it is when you're a kid, like, oh, mom is talking forever. Well, during some of those conversations, I picked up pieces of the fact that my babysitter's dad had died. And the way that he had died is my babysitter's mom had shot him to death with a double barrel shotgun in their living room of that house that I was often babysat in. And so I just, in my mind, I was kind of scared of her. I was kind of scared of her. I didn't understand self-defense. I didn't, none of that stuff was, you know, marital issues. None of that was in my mind, right? I knew that I, what I knew was what I knew. She had taken a double barrel shotgun and she had killed him in that living room. And from then on, I didn't like to be in the living room. When we went in the front door, I would kind of stick to the wall along the hallway and just, I didn't want to be in that living room. I didn't like it. It bothered me. Period. The end. That's how I felt about it. And I certainly was scared to death. Absolutely, absolutely petrified of this woman as I knew that she had done this. And I thought that if I crossed her, she might do this to me, right? But knowing all of that, I still decided I want to go see these kittens. I'm going to go when the mom is not there. Well, the kittens were kept in a box in the closet in the mom's bedroom. So I walked down this very busy highway, like right alongside of it, some points in and out of a ditch. Now, I was like four, so the ditch was probably not as deep as it seemed, but deep enough that like when I was four, yeah, you know, it's kind of deep. There was some depth to this ditch and I'm staggered around and cars are zipping by and I, and I get back into the neighborhood and I sneak into the backyard and I get a cinder block and I haul it over underneath the window of the mom's bedroom and I pop off the screen. Um, I, apparently I had done that enough times to, somehow I knew how to get the screen off, right? I popped off the screen and the window was open enough that I could open it and I stood up on the cinder block, pulled myself, shimmied myself in, went over to the closet took out the box of kittens and brought him over to the bed, the mom's bed to play with. Mom's bed, the mom's bed, it was a water bed. Yeah, it was a water bed. And you know what I said earlier about kittens having a razor 
sharp claws. They have sharp claws. I just took those kittens. I flipped back the comforter off that bed, jumped up there. I was playing because, you know, bouncing around on a water bed is fun. And the kittens, it was fun. It was pretty much instantaneous that these little streams of water, you know, first it was like, oh, there's a little bit of water. And then they began shooting up. Like, I'm telling you what, like, there were a lot of kittens. I'm going to say, let's say five. I know that there were at least five. And they were just running around all over that bed, just popping holes in that waterbed all over the place. There was water everywhere. So, of course, four-year-old me, I kind of go into a panic, right? I go into a panic. I am, like, freaking out because I can't fix this. This isn't fixable. I put the kittens back in the box. I shove them in the closet. I shut the closet door. I put the comforter back over the waterbed. I climb out the window. I shut the window. I put the screen back up. I haul the center block back to where it was, and I go home. Now, sometime later, and this, I don't remember how long was detailed in between. I just know at some time, not very long in the future, because let's be real, that's a, that's a mess to come home to. That's a, that's a disaster. That's horrible to come home to, right? So um, not much longer after that, probably that evening. I remember the sun was setting. It probably was that evening, if not within a day or two. My mom says, get in the car. We got to drive down to the babysitter's house. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Here we go into the babysitter's house. I'm petrified of that living room. I'm sticking to the wall, sliding down the wall to walk toward the kitchen. In the kitchen, they had one of those um, tables that I, I should know what they're called. I don't know what they're called, but like a bench up against the wall and the table pushes in the, between it, you know. And uh, my mom said, you scoot on in there next to the, my babysitter's mom. And then my mom sat on the other side of me. And so here I am kind of feeling like I'm trapped next to this lady. And I didn't want to get super close to her. So I'm sitting in there, but I'm kind of just, I mean, I'm petrified of this woman just because of what I know about her. I mean, absolutely petrified. And I am certain that what I have done has warranted the punishment that I fear is coming. I'm just sitting there the whole time, sweating bullets. Absolutely. I mean, I confessed everything. I admitted it. I had no idea what kind of a mess that made. I have no idea. I don't know if my mom had to pay some money. I mean, look, it's not enough just to replace the mattress on that thing. The damage from that amount of water and the cleanup process, it just was what in the world? It would have been absolutely a disaster. Horrible, horrible, horrible. So I don't know how it got paid for or reconciled. I do know that our babysitter didn't really babysit us all that much after that. And I also know that years later, like years later, we had moved back to that area. My mom was managing that bakery again. And that babysitter, much older, all grown up, because I was like, I don't know, 17 or 18. She, uh, I think it was 17. She was working there and I had to, I came to do some work for my mom, like in the overnight hours, sometimes I would do some work for her. And she came to see me and she remembered that story. Of course she did. Of course she did. But what she didn't know was what I was absolutely petrified of because I didn't vocalize it to anybody until I was older. I was certain that, that her mom, the babysitter's mom, was going to pull out that double barrel shotgun and just blow me to kingdom come right there at any moment. I just knew it. And she didn't, and of course, and I'm so thankful. But, you know, this is just to say a couple of things here, how this is going to make some sense of the podcast, because you're probably thinking that is a, 
you were a, kind of a brat, Jan. Yeah, I, I think so. I was a sinner. I absolutely was. That's a funny story you might be thinking. It is pretty funny, but also mostly to other people, because to me, I'm just kind of like mortified by that story. But I felt like the Lord really wanted me to share just a true story from my, um, I guess you'd call it a troubled childhood. I was a troubled child, clearly, because it could encourage somebody. Here is one thing that I want to say about this. If you feel like you have to get it together, because when you come to God, he is just going to lamb blast you. Let me just tell you, you just come as you are. You just come as you are and you let Jesus change you and fix you. He doesn't want you to stay as you are, but he doesn't want you to stay away from him because of who you are. We see this again and again. We see it when he called Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, out of tax collecting, which would have been a very much frowned upon, like you would have been the Jews that the Jews did not like if you were working for the Romans to take excess taxes from your fellow people. Jesus called him away from that and invited him to be one of his disciples. That's amazing. What about the fact that uh, Zacchaeus, when he said, you come down from that tree, another person who was a tax collector who had obviously really ripped off a lot of people because we see him saying, I will pay back four times as much to anyone I have stolen from. So he was skimming off the top and jacking up their taxes so he could keep the cash, right? We see Jesus dealing with Zacchaeus and Matthew as they were, as they were. They didn't have to get it together first. They just had to come. This is not different today. The Lord wants you to come to him as you are. He's not going to pull out the double barrel shotgun and blow you to smithereens. He's not going to do that. So if you don't know him, or if you kind of know him, maybe you grew up in the church, and maybe you found this episode today just by by chance, a sheer happenstance. I want to encourage you that today is the day that you can come to him as you are. Ask him for his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, for assurance that you will spend eternity with him And then expect him to bring about the changes that he wants to bring about in your life and through your life. You don't need to clean yourself up and don't be afraid of him the way that I was afraid of that woman. Because the God who would send his son to pay the price for our sins, to die the way that Jesus died, is a God that we cannot even comprehend that measure of love that measure of understanding. And we don't want to play patty cake with it because it's so serious. It's so amazing and so serious. It cost him everything. It cost him everything. Jesus literally died for us and then was raised back to life again to give us the hope of eternal life. It's a beautiful picture. So it's not to be flippant and not to be played with, but he loves us so much. I don't believe that he wants us fearing him the way I feared that woman with her double barrel shotgun. Number two, Second point from this, when we want something, we can scheme and find ways to get it. I wanted to play with those kittens. I didn't want to get caught, and I did not want to deal with my fear. That was somewhat irrational. Um, I look back, and it's completely irrational. But at the time, to me, it made perfect sense. My fear did. We can do that in our daily lives. We can have fears that seem to make a whole lot of sense to us, but they can actually be completely irrational when viewed through the filter of the kingdom of God when viewed through the words we find written on the pages of our Bible, we can make decisions because of those irrational fears. I want to encourage you, if you've got a decision to make or if you've got something that feels like it's making you fearful, you're literally legit straight up afraid, would you pray 
about that and ask the Lord to show you, do I need to be afraid of this? Is this irrational? Is this like I'm scared of getting blown to smithereens as a four-year-old and so I'm going to sneak in by the back way and uh, end up doing a ridiculous amount of damage? Because listen, most likely they would have let me spend some time playing with the kittens the next opportunity. Just not on the waterbed. Just not on a waterbed, right? I didn't need to cause that much damage in trying to do something I wanted to do that wasn't even really a bad thing but became a very destructive thing. Sometimes that's what happens when we try to get something that we want by a, a back door or hauling over a cinder block, climbing through a back window method. When the Lord might be like, dude, you could have had that anyway. You just never asked me. Why are you sneaking around and making this big mess out of something that you could have had it anyway. Okay, that's number two. Number three, if you don't understand something, maybe ask. You know, I did not understand why this woman had killed her husband in the living room of their home. I didn't understand. Now, it was going to be a bit beyond me at that point in time. But there's some point in time where I could have brought it up. I could have asked. And and it's a really broad illustration from this true life story of my own. Ask. You can ask somebody who knows more about the Bible than you if you have questions. You can ask God about the hard things in your life. Open up the Psalms and read it, and you'll find David and the other psalmists asking hard questions all the time. You can ask those hard questions. You can ask other people to pray for you and with you, because this right here is confusing and you don't get it, and you don't understand it. And sometimes what we don't understand becomes the biggest, scariest thing in the room. And I don't think the Lord wants you living in a state of like chronic fear. I know he doesn't because the word of God has too much to say about not being afraid and trusting him fully. Well, if I'm trusting him fully, I'm not going to be afraid. And the last little bit that I want to share here, which might sound like a lot less entertaining than my story from my childhood, is just that, you know, the era that we're living in has been long and hard. I don't think I need to go into specific details I think that if you if you Google, you know, Christian persecution around the world, you will find cases are on the uptick. Um, if you Google the economic state of the world, you'll find that it's not a super happy thing right now. You could look up anything and everything and find uh, scary news. We have all endured a lot since 2020, and uh, I don't foresee immediately on the horizon some big, perfect, you know, by tomorrow, there's going to be the perfect happy ending and everything is going to be great, right? For Christians, our big happy ending is when we are with the Lord. That is truly our big happy ending. I want to encourage you that even if it feels like there are dark days ahead, you know, you can, you can, and you should look forward to the time when those come to an end. Because when we can focus on that, on the assurance that we have, that in eternity it will all be made right. You know, there'll be no there'll be no more no more no more pain and no more crying and no more well, this is what we read in Revelation that Jesus is gonna wipe away every tear from our eyes. Behold, he's gonna make all things new. It's gonna be better than good. It's gonna be perfect. It will actually finally be perfect, something we can never experience here. When we look at all of history through that lens of it's coming to a culmination and that's where you get to go if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you can stop being so hung up and preoccupied by the hardships in your life and you can share the hope of Jesus with other people a lot more freely. 
Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. I want to encourage you that, yes, absolutely, the Lord sees the hard things and the dark places. Pray about those things. Talk about those places with the Lord. Like, this is a place in my life that's hard right now. It's hard. This issue with my health, it's hard right now. Talk to him about it. Ask him to use it for his glory. Ask him for his deliverance, his help, his mercy, uh, his grace, his healing, his provision, whatever you need, ask him for it and expect him to give it to you because he wants to and he promises to. But then also recognize that there are people around you who don't have the hope of Jesus, who are going through really hard things just like you are. And you have something you can offer them. This world feels dark. And you can offer them Jesus, who describes himself as the light of the world and then says to you and I, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then hides it under a basket. You don't do that, right? You don't turn on a light and then immediately snuff it out or hide it. Keep it lit, but keep it hidden. He doesn't want us hidden. He wants us like a city on a hill for others to see. So we get to be like little representatives, like little tiny baby lights. And he is the light of the world. We can point to him, and in the darkness, we can show people, here's the answer, here's the hope, here's what you really need, even though you maybe don't even know you need this. We can do that. We can do that. If you feel like the darkness that we're in or the darkness that is coming is too much for you, I want to encourage you, trust Jesus more. Trust him right now. Trust him ahead of that darkness, because today is the day of salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote that in the New Testament. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts when you hear the Lord calling to you, but respond. If you know him already, you already know him as your Lord and Savior, but you find yourself getting fearful. Listen, fearfulness can harden your heart. God does not want that. The word of God makes it so clear. He does not want that. He wants you tender hearted. He wants you to have a soft, pliable heart. Turn to him and trust in him. Keep close to him. If you don't know Jesus yet, today's the best day ever to get to know him. Just choose to reach out to him because he is not far from you and he will hear you. He sees you. He will respond. Keep close to the Lord and encourage others to trust him. Be about the work of encouraging the people around you to walk closely with the Lord. To kind of just be step by step with him so that he's lighting up every single step on the path of your life. You know, that light, I really think it's going to be precious. The light that Jesus offers as the light of the world, it's going to become more and more precious as things get darker and darker around us. So I want to encourage you that you are allowed, you are allowed to go to the Lord with the things that are hard and difficult and troubling to you. You are allowed to ask him for good things. Like as a four-year-old, I just wanted to spend some time playing with those kittens. I was allowed to ask him for that. I didn't need to go back door it. You, my friend, can ask God for good things, even in the midst of a tough economy. You can still ask him, and I would dare say you should still ask him, is he a good father or not? Rhetorical question. Yes, he absolutely is. So ask him. Expect to receive from him. Be an encouragement to other people because you can be. You can be. And you will be. Sometimes just listening, like looking in someone's eyes and actually listening while they share. Do you have any idea how encouraging that can be? You may have forgotten how encouraging that is because nobody may have like done that with you in who knows how long. We live in this era of never getting off our phones. We go to dinner with friends and everybody's on their phone. You know, I mean, like that cluing in and really listening and caring, it is invaluable. You can encourage somebody just by listening. And then as the Lord leads, take it to the next step. Can I pray for you? I'm going to be praying for you. 
that can mean the world to people. That can open doors to share about the hope of Jesus with people in ways that maybe that door has just felt like shut, but just listening and caring and then saying, I, I am so sorry. That is really, really, really tough stuff you're going through. I'm going to be praying for you. That right there, when it's sincere, man, that's a game changer. You have just offered people hope and not vain hope, but hope in Jesus. And that's an open door to share with them of how beautiful it is to trust fully in the Lord. So I'm going to wrap it up for today, but I just really want to remind you that your God is for you. He has good things for you, and you don't need to go breaking into houses to play with kittens and destroying the waterbed and probably the carpet and who knows even what else damage I did as a four-year-old. And if you have a story like that to share, maybe you can share it with somebody, encourage them and give them a good laugh. We don't laugh enough these days. And also remind them that God is so good and so gracious that even that little wild child that I was come a handful of years later when I was 20 years old in my living room, the Lord is going to save me, rescue me, totally do a 180 in my life. And since then, it's really been, and I don't mean like every minute of every day has been good, but it's really been like, like gold being refined, man, it's invaluable. And I'm so thankful. Thanks for being here with me today. Lord bless you. And I will see you back here next time for episode number 134. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day. And remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time.